Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, here we go. Stand by. Three, two, one. The thinking atheist. It's not a person. It's a symbol. An idea. The population of atheists in this country is going through the roof. Rejecting faith. Pursuing knowledge. Challenging the sacred. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth. Not because I put my hand on a book and made a wish. And working together for a more rational world. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Assume nothing. Question everything. And start thinking. This is the Thinking Atheist Podcast. Hosted by Seth Andrews. I blame myself. Actually, no. I blame the door knockers. Let me tell you the story in case you have not been following on social media because I've been complaining and lamenting and posting photographs. This was um, on Natalie's birthday, October the 22nd. A great day, a beautiful day. We went out and had a tennis lesson in the morning and we went and had a wonderful breakfast with waffles and warm maple syrup and eggs and Oh, coffee, we sat back and just enjoyed each other and enjoyed the morning. Came home and thought, well, let's just chill. So we sort of propped ourselves up on the bed, sat back, maybe take a nap, I don't know, the dogs in our laps, all of a sudden the doorbell, ding dong, and I don't know about you if you've got dogs, but my dogs hear the doorbell and lose their minds. So they jump off the bed and they rush to the front door. Windy day. Let me just set it up. It's a windy day. Wind advisories gusts up to 40 miles an hour. And I'd had the back door open so the dogs beforehand could have gone in and out as they pleased. It was just that kind of day. Like pleasant temps, but it was kind of windy out there. So I opened the front door. Now I have a wrought iron metal door that weighs over 300 pounds. I didn't pick it out. It came with the house. And it's cool, but it's heavy. It's a heavy door. Wrought iron. So I crack it open, and I walk out onto the porch, and there's a little church lady. I mean, just straight up cliched, right out of the books, Baptist church lady with her three young duckling children. 
hello, we're with Baptist such and such. It was like a Baptist temple or temple of Baptist, I don't know, something like that, you know, the Blessed Baptist Church. And we'd like to invite you to our church. And she hands me her brochure of invitation. Now, all this happens in about six seconds. I have for my, or I had rather for my Halloween display, the Wizard of Oz out front, including a cardboard cutout of the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, and the Scarecrow perched on the porch. 40 mile an hour wind gusts. All of a sudden, it grabs the cardboard and the thing almost flies off the porch. Both of us lunge to stabilize it. At that moment, with the front and back door open, the wind passes through the house and slams the 300-pound wrought iron metal door. And I hear the most intense, painful screaming. I can't even describe what it sounded like. It was horrifying. I have goosebumps even now telling you about it. It was my dog, Linus, seven-pound Maltipoo. And he apparently had been right there at the threshold of the door as the door came in and boom! And the middle of the door smashed his paw. And he screamed. It wasn't a bark. It wasn't a howl. It wasn't a yelp. It was a scream. And it took me a second to find what's going on. I turn around. I see him. He's trapped. So I go down and I'm trying to, you know, I, it's, I, I grab the door handle and I slowly push it out, realizing I may be doing more damage, but he's trapped. The church lady and her kids are about to lose their minds. So I get him out and I pick him up. He's urinated all over the porch. He's shaking. His eyes are this big. It was horrible. And the little lady said, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? And my first thought was, get the fuck off my porch. Now, I want to blame these people for what happened. But it's not their fault. It's Really, it's my fault. They rang the doorbell, which is not a crime. People ring doorbells all the time. Could have been a neighbor, could have been a friend, could have been someone trying to sell. I've got all kinds of solicitors. I put up a no soliciting sign since then. Like, stop ringing the damn doorbell. It freaks the dogs out. I think the sign I had made says something along the lines of, if, if we wanted it, we already bought it. We've heard about Jesus. The doorbell agitates the dogs. If you're not delivering an Amazon package or selling us thin mints, we are not interested. Please go away. It says something along those lines. So the little lady didn't do anything wrong outside of being presumptuous to come and, you know, oh, these people need our church or they're welcome at our church. Ah, okay, all right. Like, logically, it doesn't make sense to be pissed at him, but I still kind of am. Do I need a scapegoat, or am I just redirecting the anger I have at myself for not watching the door? It was just, it, it has never happened before. It just happened to be an obscenely windy day. Rushed Linus to the emergency room. X-ray reveals a fracture of the left front paw. He's in a cast for six weeks. 
pain medication, the whole shooting match. Every time I look at him, it breaks my heart. All of this has made me a little bit reflective about the door knockers. Dr. Chrissy Stroop has a great meme. At the top of it, it says, proselytization is objectification. We think about what it means to go share the love of Jesus. When I was an evangelical, I saw it as, I don't know, a gesture of kindness. You know, I want to go out and spread the good news. The world needs Jesus. And I want to go and tell people that they're loved and there is a Savior and there is a heaven. So I saw it as a net positive. Beyond the Great Commission, beyond the command in the scriptures to go out and proselytize, I really felt like I was doing something good. I'm sure the, the door knocker, the bell ringer, the little church hen, I thought, I'm sure she felt like she was doing something amazing. Until she, she did not. Until I, until the wind, until the door broke my dog's foot, I'm sure she felt she'd done a good thing. But if we go beyond the surface, what does it mean to ring my doorbell and invite me to be a part of a church or a faith? To become a Christian, if we want to go that far. What does it really mean to do that? What it means is, you need Jesus. Okay, why do I need Jesus? Because you are unsaved. What does that mean? You are in sin and need to be rescued from your sin. You are going to hell, if you believe the literal Bible, right? You are so awful that you will be tormented in the flames for all eternity, and it will be your own fault because you were born a sinner, this ancestral, this inherited sin that has been passed down through generations. The sins of the fathers now rest upon you. You are broken, and we have what you need to get fixed. How presumptuous is that? How insulting is that? You're damaged goods. Fortunately, even though you're sick, we got the cure. You know, you should be buying because we're selling. When you think about it in those terms, it really is offensive. Even though I understand she wasn't approaching me in that way. You know, Jesus is love, right? That hugely naive, paper shallow perspective where, you know, we're just going to go out and spread love, L-O-V-E, in the name of Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. But if she was to go beyond all of that, and I should have, had it not been mass chaos at the moment, I'm trying to think of what I might have said in the moment, because I have no problem speaking my mind to solicitors. First of all, somebody comes to my door and they say, hey, we've noticed that uh, there's been some break-ins in the neighborhood and we've got a great security service. And I'll say, you know what? I'm good. I've already got a system in place, but thank you. Right. Made the offer. I refused politely. Thank you very much. And then they do what salesmen do. They do not take no for an answer. And that's when I get pissed. And that's when my mindset and my attitude and even my language shifts. Pardon me. Is English your first language? I just said, no, I'm not interested. What does that mean to you? 
Well, you know, your neighbor across, this is another sales tactic that just blows my mind because I know it's bullshit. Well, your neighbor across the street just came off of her porch and she mentioned your name as somebody who would be really interested in this kind of thing, you know, and she, she highly recommends us. Now, what I should do in the moment is call her up. Hey, Renee, I got this douchebag on my porch who says that you recommended that he come see me about a security system that I don't need. I should have done that. I think I'll do it next time. But instead, I'm like, I, I, I throw them off my, not physically, throw them off my porch. Why are you bothering me? This is my sanctuary. This is my home. This is my castle. This is where I go to retreat from people like you. And it's even worse when they're selling Jesus. And they're selling the narrative that, oh, I'm home and broken, Someone should accost me at my home and fix me. I'm not broken, lady. I'm not damaged. I'm not sick. I'm not infected. I don't need it. I don't need any of this. And it's hugely inappropriate for you to show up at my house and do this. The door and the dog, not her fault. Everything else, I blame her. <laughs> I'm not being irrational. Maybe I'm just emotional because of the dog. <sighs> it was the most horrible thing. I have a security video. I have a security of the door crushing Linus's foot. I know the file is there in my security system. I will never watch it. I can't even go and delete it. I can't be near that. I know it exists. There's audio and video of that terrible moment and the fact that it's there. Now I'm thinking, how long until the files get rewritten? I think it's two weeks. Okay, two weeks. And then the file's going to be deleted. Oh, I hope it's two weeks. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. How do you deal with the proselytizers? How do you deal with somebody who might show up at your door or invite you to dinner? I've had this happen. I had, I had an evangelical who I swear to you knew nothing about her own religion. It was a totally emotional and experiential faith. It was a highly Pentecostal church. And she felt that I was, you know, a skeptic of all of this. And she just decided she was going to be God's ambassador and help to fix me. Let's have a meal. You know, I'd like to talk about some of this stuff. And so we sat across from each other and you should have seen it. It was the most empty, like total empty calories, the most vacuous thing. You know, I just know in my heart that Jesus loves you so much. And just started weeping. She started crying. And especially when I'm, I'm like, no, this does not work for me. There were tears in her eyes. She left that meal feeling that she had failed. So in that circumstance, given those parameters, not only was I inappropriately approached by somebody who was telling me I was spiritually sick, but we're looking at someone else who is so damaged, who is so broken, that if they are not successful in recruiting me, saving me, rescuing me, etc. They feel failure in their own life. It's a vicious cycle. Everybody loses. Everybody loses. Ran into somebody the other day. Monumentally naive point of view. I'm just sorry. You'd call me in a mood. Well, you know, it's true for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh.
It's important to them. It makes them happy. It's true for them. I like chocolate ice cream better than strawberry ice cream. That's true for me. I prefer a one-on-one or two-on-two dinner over a raucous, loud party at a bar. That's true for me. There is a hell where a cosmic wizard may toss you where you will writhe and scream forever unless you, under his demand, love him in return. That's not true for me. It's not true for you. It's not true, period, unless it is demonstrated and meets the burden of proof. Is it demonstrably not true or is it not demonstrably true, right? We either can't prove that it happened or we know for a fact it's debunked. There's no reason to believe it and every reason to disbelieve it. Demonstrably not true. Well, it's true for them, though. And, you know, okay, they're taking their little duckling children like this lady at my door and they're carting them off to church where they teach a fundamental Bible at a Baptist church with heaven and hell. Oh, look, it's a four-year-old. And if you don't love Jesus, you're going to go to hell. I get emails from people all over the world who have dealt with and struggled with hell theology and the fears of hell that have racked them down into their bones. Even logically, once they leave the faith, they know. They know there is no hell, but they are still so wounded by hell teachings that they carry those wounds with them today. Don't tell me, well, it's true for them, doesn't harm anybody. I mean, how often is it's true for me simply a preference or an expression of somebody's preference or an individual trait or response or phenomenon that is actually scientifically trackable and verifiable. Like, I am really, really prone to getting sunburned when I go outside because I have fair skin or I have a condition or whatever. Well, that is a claim saying that it's true for you, but it's also something that can be measured by science, right? It can be proven or disproven based on your skin and where you live on the planet, your proximity to the sun, depending on what season it is, blah, blah, blah. By the way, speaking of the sun and the it's true for me crowd, have you been watching these perineum suntan people? And there are pictures (laughs) Unfortunately, there are pictures. There's a culture of people in the wellness field, wellness field, all right? I say that with a grain of salt. And they believe that it is healthy for you. It's true for them that it's healthy. It has helped them to go out on a sunny day, totally naked, lay on their back, take their legs and rotate them back over their head so that they expose to the sun the perineum, which is the area between the genitals and the rectum. Essentially, it comes down to asshole sun tanning. And they are claiming that this improves your focus. It helps with hormonal regulation. It increases your libido. It regulates the circadian rhythm. And it makes you healthier and helps you to live longer. Perineum sun tanning. Well, it helped me. I felt better after I did it. It's true for me. That's true for me. Meanwhile, dermatologists and scientists of the skin are horrified by these people. 
The skin's exposure to the sun's ultraviolet rays increases the risk of skin cancer. And by the way, skin cancer develops in less visible areas of the body, like the perineum. And it typically has worse outcomes than other types of skin cancer. On top of that, we're talking about a really sensitive part of the body. Do you really want to be an asshole suntanner? I feel better when I do it. It's true for me. But is it really true and helpful and healthy? Doesn't make any sense. People make these kind of wacky health claims all the time. I took Gwyneth Paltrow's advice and stuck a jade egg in my vagina. And it helped me. My chakra energy feels so much better. It's true for me. I got a chiropractic adjustment and my allergies went away. It was true for me. By the way, have you seen those videos online of people doing pet chiropractic? Holy shit. People who believe, because it's true for them, that when they take their Labrador retriever, who has been, I don't know, having some health problems or mobility problems, they take their dogs to a chiropractor, and there's a video, I swear, he grabs this poor dog by the head, he actually grabs it around his arm like he's doing a chokehold, and he pops the dog's neck. And the dog has no idea what's going on. Well, you know, it really helped him. The next day, his appetite returned and he was feeling really good, energetic, didn't seem to have any pain. I mean, it's true. I mean, it was true in my case. True for me. True for me. What's the potential for harm there? Who pays the price if it's not true in the sense of factual, rooted in data? Is it consequence-free if it's true for you? I got the flu vaccine, and then I got sick. Therefore, the flu vaccine gives people the flu. Well, it was true for me. No, no. The correlation causation errors are all around us. And because the flu vaccine gave me the flu, I am now a skeptic of vaccines. The science is not there with vaccines. Now we're not vaccinating children. Parents are saying, I'm not going to vaccinate and protect my kids. What rights now do the children have to be protected against disease? And does the it's true for me attitude harm other people? Beliefs translate into action or inaction. It fucking matters if it's true or not. And this whole it's true for me thing drives me crazy. Crazy. I knew somebody. We knew each other casually, spoke half a dozen times. 30 years old, young family, sweet lady, really sweet, hardworking, kind, good person. Diagnosed with esophageal cancer. This is a bad one. She believed that conventional medicine, Western medicine, <laughs> Western medicine, it's all corrupt, big pharma, it's all business and money, it's all conspiracy. So, to treat esophageal cancer, advanced esophageal cancer, she, and I shit you not, 
went down to some unregulated woo factory in Tijuana. And they're doing coffee enemas and light therapy, and they're trying to beat cancer with kale or whatever. And they charged, I think, in the tens and tens of thousands of dollars with all kinds of promises. And they published all of these success stories totally unverified. There have been people who tried to track down the quote-unquote survivors from these clinics, and most of them were dead or they didn't exist. Totally unregulated. They just made shit up. Selling hope to people desperate for hope. And she said, aha, legitimate science-based medicine, if that's what you want to call it. Well, that's bogus. It's true for me. So I'm going to go down here and trust myself to a bunch of fucking shamans and we're going to have crystals and incense and a bunch of other stuff. And that's going to cure my cancer. By the way, by the time she finally returned and attempted radiation and chemo because her cancer had go figure advanced, it was too late. She's dead. Now, what does it's true for me accomplish? Except for harm except for harm. And I'm not callous toward this person. I'm not, I don't want to make fun of her. I, I would never do that. She was desperate, right? She was infected with bad ideas, probably conditioned by family and culture. Yeah, she was probably a lazy thinker, but she was also desperate. They say I have a good chance of dying. And I, someone over here says that I could be not just in remission, but just clear, healed. And so she just, she went all in. And some of the more callous out there would be like, well, you know, that's just one more idiot out of the gene pool. I don't want to be that guy. I don't think any of us should be those people. A human life was gone. A precious human life was cut short. Why? Because somebody said, well, it's true for me. Do coffee enemas cure cancer? No, it is demonstrably not true. Crystal light therapy cures cancer. No, it is demonstrably not true. You can eat your way to killing cancer. I mean, you can be more healthy, which I think is part of the equation, but you're not going to cure cancer with celery and juice cleanses. It is demonstrably not true. And this whole true for me thing just totally disintegrates upon the most cursory analysis. I guess I'm a little worked up. (laughs) I'm sorry. Maybe this was not a bad time. It's either the worst or the best time to broadcast. Maybe I'm either doing you a favor or a disservice. I can't decide which, but I'm going to proceed. I'm just going to push forward. Because this stuff, these, I just, you ever get that way? Natalie says, I've been a little cranky lately. And I admitted it. I, you know, I just wake up and I'm just cranky. Not at anybody in particular. I'm just short. It's not even that I'm mad. I just don't have any patience. I don't have patience. The 6% event, right? I've talked about this in the past. If you wake up in the day and you're at zero, something happens, eh, whatever. I'm now at a 7%. Uh, you know, now, the, I oh, I forgot to put the food in the fridge and I don't have lunch today. Well, now I'm at 
The car won't start. Battery's dead. Now I'm at 45%, right? All of these things add up until you get to 95%. You are well up the scale and almost in the red zone. You become increasingly tense as the day goes on. Then if you're at 95, all it takes is the 6% event and boom, you boil over. But for some reason, when I've been getting up, I'm already at like 85%. So it doesn't take much at all to make me just melt down. What's that about? Is it seasonal? Is it reading the insane headlines every single day and just despairing of it all? Like I live in a culture of celebration of cruelty. The United States, millions upon millions of people celebrate cruelty. Had a garage door spring break. Call the repairman. He shows up when I have my Wizard of Oz decorations out on the lawn. I've got the Dorothy, I've got the tornado, and I had a witch. We've got the Wicked Witch of the West complete with broom in full 3D, like an actual body with the witch's mask and the hat on. Okay? This is all in place when he comes by. The first thing he says to me when I answer the door is, I like your Nancy Pelosi costume. This was on the heels of reports that her husband, the 82-year-old man, Paul Pelosi, was accosted and attacked and bludgeoned with a hammer by some conspiracy nut bar inside the Pelosi home and had to be rushed to emergency surgery. He almost lost his life. Now, I don't care where you fall on the political spectrum. Who makes that joke? Donald Trump Jr. then tweets, a pair of underwear, because the guy was in his boxers, and a hammer, and he said, I found my Halloween costume this year, yuck, yuck, ha, ha, and people are lining up to laugh about it. It's a culture where we celebrate cruelty. I'm just, I cannot believe it. Were these people always there, and now they just feel empowered because so much cruelty is being celebrated at the higher levels? Is this just a black light exposing the roaches that were already there? Or is this like some surge or both? Begin to despair about people. Is this what people have become? Is this who we are? Is this how we treat each other? 82-year-old man, his skull broken apart with a hammer. People are laughing about it. And what universe is that funny? No matter who it is. I can't stand Donald Trump Jr. I think he's a psychopath. I think he is one of the worst people in the world. No hyperbole, okay? I would be grieved if somebody broke into his home and crushed his head with a hammer, okay? I know some people would not. They would celebrate it. But I lament that because I think how I respond to that attack says a hell of a lot more about me than it ever did about him. I refuse to sacrifice my humanity because someone else celebrates inhumanity. I will not allow them to make me into them. And I've made that commitment to myself. Like there's no one on the planet where I would say, well, I'm glad someone broke into their house 
Paul Pelosi was not even his primary target. He was waiting for Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, to get home. His plan was to take the hammer and crush her kneecaps. Jesus Christ. And it's a punchline. Oh, it's funny. Or it's not a big deal. Or, you know, the other side is just as bad. Or it was provoked. These people terrify me. But the elections and all the dog whistling about a holy war. You got people out there not just with guns. They got hammers. They've got vehicles. They've got explosives. Empowered in hate. Told that it's jihad against the devil. I sometimes can't even log on in the morning. Is it healthy to browse and see all that stuff every day? I'd like to disconnect, but I'm afraid I'm going to then have my head in the sand and not actually know what's going on. I got Elon taking over Twitter. Elon, a guy I used to admire. And maybe I'm naive about that, but I mean, from what I had seen about him and I love the electric car and blah, blah, blah. And now I look at him and I'm like, what the hell? He's running Twitter, posting conspiracy. He posted the Pelosi conspiracy theory that the reason for the Paul Pelosi attack was that it was actually a spat between two secret gay lovers. (laughs) No evidence at all. Fox News and OAN and Newsmax, everybody else, they picked that up and run with it. Aha. It's a gay spat, by the way. Don't miss the homophobia embedded in that little conspiracy theory. No evidence to support it. Elon just tweeted that the head of Twitter, the head of Twitter, is a misinformation machine. What do we do? Do I delete my account? What does that accomplish? Does it limit how much I can get the shows out and the content and the podcast and the videos and the speeches and the books, all the other things? That Does it cheat this community out of opportunities to connect with each other? If we don't go to Twitter, where else do we go? I don't know the answer to these questions. I wrestle with it every single day. I don't want to lose you. I don't want to make it harder for people to find us. How many times do I I was browsing? I typed atheist into search box X, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Google. And I found this community and it changed everything. I hear this all the time from people who were on their journeys. We dumped the whole thing. If I hit delete, if I, you know, on a matter of principle, say, ah, we're done. Does that limit our reach? Do those people have a harder time finding us? Because one of the reasons we exist is to help other people. So frustrating. Seems like the world is full of catch 22s. Am I making any sense today? Does any of this resonate? I hope I haven't wasted your time. I'm just venting. Let's take some calls. Short break. I'll be right back to talk to you next. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My patrons get this broadcast early and totally commercial-free. Thank you so much for your support. Patreon.com slash Seth Andrews. As we talk to the listeners about whatever's on your mind, I've got Christian. Tell me your first name to make sure I see Christian. Is that right? Are we talking about Christians? I didn't see what the call screening software had said. Oh, Logan. Logan, what's what do you want to talk about today? Well, one thing that I've always been interested to get your uh, thoughts on is that the movement has changed so much over the years. And I think a lot of people would agree that it was especially energetic in the early teens, like 2010, 11, 12. Uh, You had the whole new atheist movement. And although Christianity, I think, is today, it's still posing, obviously, a huge threat with the... uh, Supreme Court just being completely desecrated. And by that, I mean that, like, the values of objectivity and secularism really used to be held sacred in the Supreme Court. You didn't used to have this idea of a conservative or Democrat justice so much. So the Christians are really gaining power. But in everyday life, the relationship Christianity's had with our society, I feel like, has changed a bit because it used to have an incredible arrogance in that. All Christians would assume everyone around them was Christian, and if they weren't Christian, just shut up about it. And I feel like Christianity's been humbled, at least as far as local interpersonal relationships go, to a large degree over the last 10 years, probably by the New Atheist movement. And that humility, I think, has caused the New Atheists to calm down a little bit. And what do you think about that? I think one of the reasons that it is not as big a deal is because of the rise of the non-religious. Demographically, we're seeing a sea change in the United States. Roughly one in four Americans right now says that religion doesn't play a meaningful role in their lives. That number's huge. Not necessarily atheists, but religious nuns, right? And so where 15 years ago, if you said, I'm an atheist, you were more likely to see somebody who was not in a culture where the term was being normalized They would run screaming from the room, grab the children, it's an agent of Beelzebub. But more and more, since the new atheism thing, we've seen a normalization. People are talking more and more openly about it at every level. It's not quite as big a deal. And I think that's one of the reasons that you're not seeing the sort of the sonar ping return upon you when you say that you're a non-believer. I think it used to be more of an anomaly. And I think the normalization of atheism and non-religion is going to continue in the days, months, and years ahead. That makes sense. Thank you. 
All right, brother. Thanks for calling, Logan. Take care of yourself. Appreciate it. Good luck. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about the term new atheism. You know, the so-called horsemen, Hitchens and Dawkins and Dennett and Harris, right? Back in 2006, 7, 8, and 9 when the books were coming out and it was a big, big, big thing. But the truth was they weren't saying anything that was all that different than what Ingersoll said. Bertrand Russell, you know, maybe framed with details relating to the headlines of the day, but I don't see the messages any different. You know, I, I just, you know, I guess if you want to talk about that specific time capsule and specific activists and say they are new atheists, but what they were saying, I, it wasn't really anything new. It was just a surge of getting the information out there and interest in what atheism is and who these atheists were. How new was it? I'm not sure I'm convinced. Matthew at 719. Hi, are you there? I'm here. Thank you, Thank you for having me. It's on your mind, Matthew. I guess I'm just curious on what your thoughts are, I guess, on sharing like health concerns or reasons with family. Like, I recently had a, a hernia surgery about three weeks ago, and I actively avoided telling most of my family about it just because I didn't want to have to uh, hear the I'll pray for you and hope it goes well. It's just like, I trust the doctors and the science. Thank you very much. So I actively avoided telling family about that. And so I, part of me felt, I guess, lonely in a sense, because I couldn't really feel like I could talk to my family about it. I just wonder if I did the right thing almost, or if I should have just risked more of the unpleasant conversations and the words I didn't want to hear just to tell my family about it. I just, wonder if I made the right decision that time. Oh, I can't tell you whether or not you did the right thing. That's going to be a compass that, you know, only you can use. I will say this, when I've been sick, if I have a religious person say, I'll pray for you, I usually don't stop and do battle in that moment. I try first to gauge intent. Are they genuinely trying to express concern given the language they've been conditioned to use? And if they really are being kind and concerned, given the model that they're used to, I'll pray for you. I usually just say thanks and get on with my day. Now, it's different if the attempt is more underhanded. Do you feel like you're using your illness or bad circumstances as kind of a foot in the door to preach at you? In a sense, because they've never truly been, I mean, they've, they actively are the spread the faith kind of thing, too. And I just, I feel like I've won the fight for my own sanity that I don't want to have to pick up that fight again. You know, I don't want, I, I won World War One. I. I don't want to start World War Two just to have to ultimately win it, because I will not, you know, give up a fight until I have one. Why is there conflict? If you go over to a family function and there's conflict, what does that look like? There's no dissent other than for me and the family. So it's like a unified front of why are you why you're wrong? I have to deal with here's why the wall should be built, and here's why Trump's the greatest president in the world, and I have to deal with the black sheep of why are you like this? So you feel like they're pawing at you, kind of patting you on the head like some broken thing. And you have to deal with the fact that they are broadcasting at full volume things that are in absolute contrast to your values, and it makes the whole thing unpleasant. 
Yeah, you have any kind of pleasant evening, I basically have to be quiet, not say anything, you know, other than the occasional muscle flinches on the face. Yeah, I mean, but it's pleasant for them, Matt. I mean, it's pleasant for them, but it's not pleasant for yeah. you. So why do it? And I'm not setting you up. This isn't an accusation of yeah. any kind because I'm just interested. Why subject yourself to an environment where you think these people don't share my values, they think I'm broken, and there's probably a shit ton of passive aggression targeted at me? What motivates you to participate in that? Um, I guess I don't want to totally walk away from family. You know, I don't want to be the, I, I don't want to be, you know, 90 years old in poor health and worrying that I'm not going to be discovered for three months because I didn't have active, anyone actively checking in on me. I just want to have some connection to my family. Even if I don't go over for dinners, I just trying to find that third way to where no one has lost any ground. If you had a, religious disagreement with your mother or father, would you decide that they weren't worth checking in on because of that disagreement? You know, what if they were to pass away and would you be the person who wouldn't care to discover them for three months because they were religious? No, I would, oh, I would be checking in. So I guess I just, it's just one of those rational fears, I guess. I'm not a relationship counselor, but it sounds to me <laughs> like you feel a sense of family bond, even a tribal bond to your bio family that you do not want to lose. It also sounds to me like you worry that isolation from them may mean isolation in a broader sense. And I don't think that's necessary. Mm -hmm. Family acts like family. Many times friends are family. We can find the people in our lives that will accept us for who we are and supports our values and our goals and who don't make us feel uncomfortable and who provide an environment of absolute love and goodness and all of those things that we wish our bio family would be. I also want you to be conscious of who's doing all the bending. If you're over there keeping the peace, which is not really peace, just an absence of conflict, are they doing the same? Are they maneuvering and biting their tongue and deciding they're not going to bring this up because they don't want to make you uncomfortable? I would guess the answer is hell no. They're acting any way they want with total privilege and freedom, and you're the one being treated with the double standard. That's accurate for definitely most of them. There are, like my mom is not like that because she doesn't want to have the conflict either. So there are certain parts of the family that does fit and the other person that doesn't, but yeah. But yeah, I appreciate uh, this. Is, um, this has been a good conversation. So I don't I, know. We're, we're, you and I are just I talking. We're not going to solve the world's problems, Matt. But I think you have every right to decide how much you're willing to put up with. You're going to know what you're getting yourself into. You decide whether or not you want to do it, if it's worth it. But if you decide no, I don't think there's any reason for guilt. And I don't think worrying about being alone should be a qualifier for whether you subject yourself to that. Because I think if you're a good person surrounded by people who do love and support you, who are not on your immediate family tree, you're not going to be alone. And you will have the support yeah. and the love and the goodness that you crave, okay? 
Okay. Well, I'll let you move on to other callers, and I just want to say before I let you go that uh, I do like the new uh, beard you're growing. And- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going for wisdom, but mostly I just got age, Matthew. It's just sad, <laughs> but I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. Be safe out there. We'll see you later. Yeah. See you later. Thank you. Yeah, facial hair. Like, you know, I've always had the goatee, but the beard was some just a grand experiment. I was kind of looking for a a slightly different look for all the branding on my second podcast, True Stories with Seth Andrews. I didn't want it to look just like The Thinking Atheist. I wanted to have a little bit of a different vibe. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll grow the beard out, maybe grow the hair out a little bit. And so far, Natalie says, stick with it. And she's the arbiter. She's going to be the fine. Because, you know, the minute she says, it looks bad, or I don't want to be close to you because it's prickly or whatever. You know, some people are beard people, and some people are not beard people, and I totally got that. But uh, she says, no, hang with it. But yeah, I was going for wisdom. Mostly, I just got age. 602. Hi, what's your name? Hi, this is Stephen. How are you? I'm well, Stephen. What's on your mind? So I connected when you were talking about the news kind of overwhelming you and Twitter and Elon and everything. And it just made me think about some of the things that I have been dealing with this as well and with my immediate circle of friends. And I guess I wanted to say, for first, for what it's worth, I don't follow you on Twitter. I follow you other places. So if you wanted to leave Twitter, it would have no impact on me. I'd still love you just as much. Because I mostly want to look at you. So I follow your YouTube stuff. <laughs> I follow your Facebook. And I will also admit that Linus is a big draw. Oh, good. So uh, yeah. I hope he's, he's feeling better as well. Thank you. But one of the things that, first of all, I think as a society and as individuals, we have been exhausted over the last six or so years with the hyper amount of news. I mean, you and I are, are roughly the same age. I don't. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Maybe it was because the nature of media was different because we didn't have internet when we were in high school that it just seems like we are so bombarded and overwhelmed all the time. And my close friend who's the same age as we are, and I were talking about this recently that when we got together, we didn't have our phones out. Like we actually had a conversation and we looked around the restaurant. Everybody had their phones out like when there was no conversation going on or even when there was. And I got to a point with a lot of things where I kind of let Google News or whatever curate certain headlines. So, you know, I heard about the big stuff with Russia and Ukraine or Paul Pelosi or some of the things that have been in the recent news. But, you know, someone had to tell me what was going on with Kanye West because who cares? or the Kardashians. I've never watched their show. I know what they all look like and how much plastic surgery they've had. And that's very nice. It's pretty obvious, but I've never paid any attention to them. So I've tried to sort of whittle things down and and where all of this kind of comes together. And it kind of goes with the last couple of calls that you've talked about is I think you can control how much stress you let into your life whether it's over-religious discussions, whether it's over the news, whether it's just getting through day-to-day, because, you know, once I stopped doom-scrolling, I was much happier. 
And, you know, and I'm taking care of my pets and I'm doing my thing and seeing my friends. Politics comes up every so often. Religion might come up every so often. And even then with, uh, you know, I'm also an atheist and I'm LGBT. LGBT people have always known that we've had to create communities outside of our families. So maybe that kind of thing comes a little more easily to my cohort. But I can say about being an atheist, to some of your earlier points, by being open about my atheism with everyone, and that there isn't a dividing line between how I speak to it with family versus non-family, my family has come back to me and say, I know you don't share my beliefs, but I'm praying for you. Like, we've gotten to that level of respect. So... It all moderates over time, I think, with a lot of these things, if you kind of approach it the right way. And it's okay to turn off the news for a while and play with your dogs and play with Natalie and whoever, you know, and just be you for a while. And the last thing I'll say is, for also for what it's worth, even though I don't follow you on Twitter, I refer you to people or people to you, I guess is the way to say it, when they want to know more about atheism or they want to know more why I think about the way things the way I do, because I, I also tend to think we are more free thinkers, not just atheists. We are skeptics in, in the right sense of the word that we ask questions. And whether it's people who are on their own religious journey towards atheism or just questioning their own religion and wondering if that's right for them, I send them to you. I send them to Matt Dillahunty. I send them to people like this. So I'm not even in the discussion, but they're like, oh, okay. And by your voice being there, you're not just because of the quality of your voice, you sound very authoritative, <laughs> but it's like there's no emotion there that has to come from me or be directed at me from the other person. I can just say, go listen to this, listen to, to his discussion about how Christianity made him talk like an idiot, because that's really great. That breaks it down for you. That's what I'm hearing. And then they're not as mad at me. So I, I use you as a resource. I use you in a lot of ways with or without Twitter. I think it's okay to take a break from some of these things or pull back because of the things that you stand for. And, you know, I'm a big admirer of yours. I, I got to meet you in person a few years ago uh, when you were speaking in my area. And I really enjoyed that evening and bought a couple of your books. And like I said, I kept up with you and refer people to you and others in our community because your voices are important. So, you know, I think between all the things that you're on, whether it's Discord or Twitch or Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, you have a community of people that are watching and listening and new people coming in all the time. And I think that's more important than anything else. And it's okay to pull back from things that are, are frankly toxic. We, we all need a break every so often. So, I'll stop rambling now and no. let you make a comment. No, I, I, it is your I, show. I receive your wisdom and encouragement, man. I mean, that's, I think it, it sounds, honestly, it sounds like good sense. And I'm so thankful for the kind words and all the referrals. I don't know about you. What else are we <laughs> going to do? We're not going to give up, right? Let's just keep kicking. And, and I'll, one last quick story, and then I'll let you go. Yeah. My, my niece came out to me as an atheist recently, and I was very proud and astonished by that because I had nothing to do with it. But she went and told her mom, who is my sister, who is very, we'll say more religious. We won't say she's super devout or anything. But when she came out to her mom, her mom said, well, 
your uncle's an atheist and he's a good man, so I guess it's okay. And so things do get better uh, to, to Matt and some of the others that talked about family and, and those sorts of things. It can get better. It's all about, like you just said, being a force for good. If you are a demonstrably good person that other people can recognize and see that you don't need a religion to make you that way, that's half the battle right there. I've had discussions with Christians, Protestants, Catholics, Jews, you know, whatever their moral code is that they live by that they say you have to do. Then they look at me and they go, well, you're a good guy. Why? Maybe you're right. Maybe you don't need all of this mumbo jumbo to make you a good person. And it's a force, not just for good, but I think for sanity. So that's my last story. No, that's good stuff. You ought to be hosting today. Maybe I'll just go and <laughs> sit back and hand the mic well, to you. If you ever want a partner, let me know. You're really you got good. my number. Uh, and I think that's good medicine. <laughs> I appreciate you so very much. Hang in there and we'll talk again, okay? All right. Take care. Right. I like what he said about normalizing the fact that we're atheists. True story. I talk a little bit about uh, my neighbor, who a uh, dear friend of mine and a guy that I, I just love. And he's a worship pastor. All right. Talk about a convergence of cultures. <laughs> you know, you got the atheist activist living next to the worship pastor. Okay. And he's wonderful. I mean, I, I would trust him to take care of my family if I was ever gone. And, and I, he's a man of his word. And, you know, I think it's a great case study on how if I don't put religious people in a box, but I see them as human beings first, then we begin to explore all the other things. So is he a good person? Is he honest? Is he someone who genuinely wants good? Is he judging me? Does he, you know, lead with health threats? Does he paw at me like I'm, does he proselytize? And he's never done any of that stuff. It's always been, hey, neighbor, right? Well, he just moved away. And the new neighbors are moving in. I mean, moving in as we speak. Now, this is an unusual dynamic if you are an atheist activist and host one of the biggest online atheist communities in the world, okay? Because I, I, I met him and his wife, sweet people, but they strike me as, and who knows, but they strike me as Sunday go to meeting, probably Baptist, Bible-believing, Bible-literalist Trumpers. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But you know how you can often take the temperature of someone, right? And you can get a vibe. I don't know. We're going to find out soon. But I am now waiting for the conversation that is the next step beyond, hey, what's your name? Let me, here's a post-it note. Got my phone number. If you guys need anything while you're moving in, you have any questions about the neighborhood, let me know, right? That's first step. Second step is when you have a longer conversation. And that goes like this. What do you do for a living? I host one of the largest online atheist communities in the world. And I podcast atheism and I write about atheism. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm full. I speak around the world, challenge, dismantling Christianity. Like he, he, if he's a Christian, right? My job, my full-time gig is to tell everyone why I think what you believe is bullshit. That, I'm, I would never say it that way, but that's the gist. <laughs> So what's that conversation look like? But what I really want to happen is I want 
him to get to know me first. I'm the guy who brought his phone numbers. I'm going to, you know, I hear, well, is there anything we can do for you? And here's some cupcakes. Welcome to the neighborhood. It's good to have you. Welcome neighbor, right? I want to be a human being first. And then if we get into the conversation about what do you do? And I don't know what he does, but, uh, you know, if I ask him and he asks me, there may be an eyebrow raised, but it's too late. He can't put me in his box. He can't write me off as evil. I'm the guy who welcomed him to the neighborhood, not as a tactic, but because I genuinely felt like, hey, neighbor, welcome to the neighborhood. Leading, you know, not hiding what I am, what I think or don't think, what my values might be as a humanist. Or what if I tell him I'm a Democrat? Dun, dun, dun. In some circles, Democrats even more scandalous than atheists. <laughs> Oh my God, it's a Jimmy Cat. Dun, dun, dun. What's that going to look like? I don't know. But I'll tell you, my days of sitting on my hands and deciding, well, I'm going to keep the peace, which isn't really peace, by allowing him to be who he is while I shut up and say nothing, those days are over. I know I'm a full-time atheist activist. Here's my website. This is what I do. This is part of who I am. Nice to meet you. Welcome to the neighborhood. We shall see how that goes over. 864. Dexter, what's on your mind, my friend? Well, I've, I've been sitting here listening to you guys. I was going to call and talk to you about pseudoscience in general, but just listening to kind of everybody talk and everything. Um, all the things that people see on television and things like that and in the media that's upsetting them is that one of the things that people keep throwing around is like narcissism and... <laughs> And people are absolutely obsessed with it right now. And I'm actually diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And so people overuse the term. You know, it's not hard to see that somebody like Donald Trump is a narcissist. But it's equally as likely that Barack Obama was a narcissist. And it's kind of just, I don't know if this helps anybody to, I mean, it might just make people more angry, but... I have to advocate for myself. So in doing that, I have to advocate for other people. And part of this vitriol and things that you get from people is just a complete lack of self-awareness. And to some degree, you're wasting your time trying to get people to come together when the motivation isn't to work out a problem. The motivation is to dominate another people or to gather some self-esteem for themselves or to find some way to where they can feel like they're not going to disappear. And one of the things that was really difficult for me when dealing with all of this was understanding boundaries and things like that. That's all part of it. But I live in the South. I live in South Carolina. And one of the things that kind of gets a pass here is that we'll respect people's boundaries up until the point of it becomes about religion. And when it becomes about religion, then it's, I'm doing this for your own good. And I'm not saying people that do that are all narcissistic. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying once you have God on your side, you might as well be a narcissist because you're not, but you're going to act like one because you're right. You're right because the book says you're right. You know what this person needs. You know what you need to tell them. You're going to tell them how to better their life and how to fix everything for them and things like that. You're seeing that with all the right-wing media and stuff like that because it's all very conservative and it's all very Christian and things like that. And it's 
just this idea of, well, we all know how disordered this is, so now we know how we need to fix it. I don't know if that offers any kind of insight into kind of what's going on, but I just think if you can detach from it just a little bit and step back from it, people like me, you just can't, you're not going to get anywhere with us. Well, if you're aware that this is something that is going on, mm-hmm. you're telling me that you can be reached, you can be convinced there's, you know, not crossing over tribal lines and having conversations, you're not open to an evolution maybe in your own life. You're saying I've just given up, I'm a narcissist and I can't be I can't be reached. It's no. a waste of time. Is that what I'm hearing? No, no, I'm not to that degree. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, then I, I think that's the point I'm trying to make, is that I think narcissism is a problem, certainly. I think there are narcissists. I think there's a spectrum of narcissism. I think there are malignant narcissists. I certainly don't put Barack mm-hmm. Obama and Donald Trump in the same camp, <laughs> not remotely. No, no, I don't see, no, Barack Obama okay. doesn't. Okay. I don't worship the guy, but I'm saying, you know, when you look at... <laughs> humanitarianism, humanism, the words of compassion, equality, etc. I hear those from Obama, and I simply do not hear those from Trump, who celebrates cruelty, which is what we had led with in the show to begin with, right? This gleeful celebration of cruelty. Yeah. What I mean by that is just a helpful narcissist is just as bad as a, as a malignant one. Because the, the, the problem is, is like, just like the last one that called in, like, I could hear, like, he wants to be with his family. If he's still listening to this, the only thing I I would say to him is just to look at them and say, listen, if I don't change, are you going to be able to deal with the discomfort of me not changing? Is that so important to you that you're willing to risk the dissolution of this relationship? Because I'm probably not going to change. And if I do change, it's not going to be to make you feel better. And if they can process that, then great, you can move forward. But you at least got to ask them. Oh, I like, like that. I like that. That's great advice. You set down yeah. the parameters, I mean, you show them what the boundary is, and you say, is this something you can deal with? And then they'll tell you yeah. whether or not it's something that you want to continue to participate in. That's that's really astute, man. And that's what I'm saying. Like You, you can get to us once we deal with that very scary place of going to of like, maybe, maybe I don't really have it all together. Maybe... <laughs> You know, I tell my atheist friends whenever they argue with Christians, I say, just tell them when they say, well, God says this, say, my friend Dexter says this. It doesn't matter who he is. You just need to know that he's right about everything, because that's the same argument that they're making. All right. Well, everybody in the audience, if you get into an exchange, uh, feel free to throw Dexter's name out. And, uh, you know, yeah. just, just uh, make that a part of the conversation. Forgive me, I've got to be the millionth person to say when I hear the name Dexter, I think about the Showtime television series. I just, it's just my mind automatically that's, goes there. And that's who I picture. I picture a, Dexter's face on the phone, and I'm so sorry. That's not a narcissist. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> sorry a about different. that. <laughs> Dexter, thanks for yeah, calling me, man. Thanks for calling the show, and uh, you hang in there out there, okay? All right. Thank All you, Seth. Right. See you later. Bye-bye. Talk about it. I was talking to Forrest Valkai about the shitty last season of Game of Thrones. Talk about a shitty last season. Dexter. You invest, I think, what was it, eight seasons? I invested eight seasons in Dexter. And it just got worse and worse. 
Beyond the fact that, by the way, how many, how many serial killers can one city in Florida actually have? Like every time Dexter turned around, he'd just bump into somebody who happened to kill people in like a storage shed or something. <laughs> Apparently all the serial killers just moved to Florida. They all live in, live in Florida. And then the final season was just terrible. I'm sorry, Dexter. I'm sorry. I'm not aligning you with the misery that was Dexter. Season eight. I'm just not doing it. Susie at 850, are you with me? Hi, this is Susie. Thanks for calling. Let's talk. What's on your mind? Um, I consider myself first a humanist and then an atheist. And the cruelty I've seen from the Republican side about what happened to Paul Pelosi just breaks my heart. I don't get it. When did everyone lose their compassion for people? Yeah, everybody's been Donald Trumped. Everybody's been Tucker Carlson. They've been Laura Ingramed. They've been Alex Jonesed. And you and I Gary look Lake. and say, "Where wow. is your humanity?" And exactly, you die inside, don't you? It does. My husband's always told me, "My heart's too big, and I have too much love than this world can take." And you know, it hurts me to my core. And I live in Florida, and we get to vote early. And of course, I'm voting Democrat all the way down the the ballot because this has to stop. And the fact that the top leaders aren't condemning it and making jokes, and it's like people have lost, many people have lost their sense of decorum and care and all for craziness. Interesting, too, how many of them align themselves with the Christian faith. And I mean the best version of Jesus. Love Kindness, compassion, empathy, charity, you know, sell all you have and give to the poor and, you know, hang out with the lepers and, and all of those things that the best version of Jesus did. And you look at so many of these modern day Christians and you think, what the hell kind of Jesus do you say you worship, right? Yeah, they're just, it, it's cruel. And to me, cruelty I don't get it. I, I don't have a cruel bone in my body. And it's just, it's making me very sad. But I'm trying to stay strong. And I bought a pink shirt to wear when I go early vote. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Susie. You don't have to answer this, but I've noticed that, like, Natalie's got a servant's heart. She just is an empath. She feels the pain of other people. That's me, too. Okay. That's okay. me. But I have found that many people who are, they have such a rich well, a deep well of feeling for other people, they are often taken advantage of in this world. And I honestly, I admire you, but because you're so empathetic and so desperate to embrace the good that somebody with bad agency, you know, a con or a, an abuser comes along and, you know, people who are empaths often end up sort of caught up. You know, you want to help, you want to rescue. Do you find that that's a problem? Does that ever happen in your world? Um, not so much as a problem. One problem I do have is I don't like confrontation. Hmm. And 
even when I know in the past where I used to work, some of the other ladies were very passive-aggressive and mean and just that catty female thing that a lot of women have and 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 oh, men have it, it too trust me, me. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm tracking go ahead yeah. go ahead yeah yeah um but I would find I would be unable to speak up and be assertive and stand up for myself and so it would just kind of like drive me into I guess my own little pity party but it was my own fault because I wouldn't speak up when I knew the sneaky stuff they were doing, you know, and they didn't think I knew, you know, it's, I get it. I get it. Well, I don't, I'm not trying to peel back, you know, any wounds or anything. I'm not asking, but I, I'm, I'm I'm always interested because I think, go ahead. I'm so sorry. I'm walking all over you, Susie. Go ahead. Is your wife able to be assertive to stand up to, or does, or, yeah, or like know, me, kind of the shrinking violet. Natalie is, you know, she will stand up for what she believes in, and she'll stand up for people. But she, like you, hates confrontation. I sort of hold to that Christopher Hitchens line. He said, there can be no progress without head-on confrontation. And I'm a fighter, not in the physical sense, but I love to get into a good ideological philosophical, theological scrap. I like to just get into it and let's hammer it out and let's figure it out and let's just go. And I speak with that fear in that way to a fault. And sometimes it drives her nuts because, you know, I tend to thrive, not in a malicious way, but I like to just get into it, you know, and I almost always speak my mind. And she very much gets uncomfortable And she just wants everyone to get along. And I don't want everybody to be arguing and battling. And this is intense. Let's, you know, she wants to sort of bring it back toward love and the positive and let's not be that way. So I'm guessing that's probably what you go through. Yes. And I've heard Chris Richards. I've watched a lot of his stuff. And I think someone was questioning him and they said, I don't want to offend you. And he said, bring it. (laughs) You know, he's like, bring it on. Yeah. And now, but I'm also to the point, and maybe Natalie's this way too, I will simmer. But if I've had a belly full and I'm ready to lash out, look out. Look out. <laughs> look out. Well, that's what, there's that 6% event. You know, you brought me full circle. And, and I wouldn't tangle with you. And I'll tell you this, Susie. If someone ever treats you wrong, I got your back. You call me. And I'm just going to show up and I'm going to use that line from one of my favorite films. And I'm going to say, I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Okay, Susie? Yeah. But but I just caught the, the part of your show when you were talking about the Paul Pelosi stuff and Don Jr. tweeting a pair of underwear and a hammer. And, and now my fear is, okay, are people going to start open carrying hammers now? Oh, I, I honestly think that the people who love cruelty feel like this is their day. Now they can operate in such an unfettered way and even be celebrated. I feel these are dangerous times. And I think all that you and I can do, Susie, in this imperfect world, all you can and I can do is to speak up and stand up against it, to show the love that we wish that we saw in them 
to stand up for the people who are being victimized and threatened, our fellow human beings, and to show an example of what this world ought to look like, right? Mature, responsible, humanistic, respectful, evolved human beings. The best we can do right. is to try to represent that to the rest of the world and to try to stand up for what's right. And and I, you know, I, I appreciate the goodness in you. I can hear it in your voice. I can feel it on you. I just think it's... It's something that I think we could all aspire to do more of. And so in that way, you inspire me. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. All right. Take care of Linus. I, I hope he's better. I'm going to go take care of my little son. All right. Be good. We'll see you. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. That's how I introduce Linus whenever I am uh, whenever I pick him up. And people are like, oh, I love your dog. What's his name? And I'm like, this is Linus. He is my son. And he really is. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to take Susie's advice. I'm going to go pick up my little wounded son with a broken wing. And I'm going to uh, spoil him and feed him treats. And our walks look different. I have to actually pick him up and carry him to all of his little spots (laughs) for the next month or so. But he is on the mend. I appreciate so much all of your goodwill and, uh, and your encouragement. I don't know, maybe it'll be all right. But we got to keep kicking. You do it and I'll do it and we'll, uh, we'll meet back here next time on the show. Take care. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring The Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com.